I had preached a, a camp meeting up in West Virginia for several years, and uh, I loved the people. They loved me. Uh, but I was called in uh, by the moderator and the pastor of the church, and, and uh, he told me that they weren't going to have me back anymore because he didn't like the direction. They didn't like the direction that I was going. And uh, I can remember he had a Bible on his desk. I picked up the Bible and handed it to him. And I said, if you can take the Bible and show me where I'm wrong, just show me where I'm wrong. I said, I'll get down in in the floor right now. I'll ask God to forgive me. I'll ask you to forgive me. I'll stand up publicly and ask everyone to forgive me. I'll go back to our own church and I'll ask them to forgive me. Just show me in the Bible, show me from God's word where I'm wrong. And he looked at me, he bowed his head, he looked back up again, and he said, Brother Craig, you know I can't do that. Hey everybody, this is JC. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We are blown away at the response that we've had in these last few episodes. We just had over 150,000 downloads. That's because of you, our listeners. You're faithful every Wednesday to download and to listen, and we want to thank you for that. We'd love for you to share the podcast, leave a comment, click on our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. You can see the tab that says share your story. We would love to hear your story of being a recovering fundamentalist, all right? Hey, we're going to continue to try to bring you good content each and every Wednesday. And we have two interviews that are coming up in the next few weeks that we think you'll be real excited about. One is Adam Tyson. Adam Tyson has been on tour with Kanye West. And at a certain point during Kanye West's tour, he's been standing up and delivering the gospel message without compromise, without question. And thousands of people have been responding to the gospel and saying yes to Jesus. God has been using Adam Tyson, and we're excited to have him on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast here in a few weeks. And then James McDonald, the former pastor at Harvest Bible Church in Chicago, is going to be on with us here in just a few weeks talking about growing up as an independent fundamental Baptist, how he took that into his leadership role there at Harvest, and what God is doing in his life now. And so you'll want to stay tuned for these two interviews, Adam Tyson and James McDonald. But today we are super excited to have Brian Edwards sitting down with his dad, Craig Edwards, and just sharing Craig's story. Craig has been a big player in the independent fundamental Baptist world for a long time. And God has worked in his life in some incredible ways. And I'm excited for you to hear Craig Edwards' story today. Before we jump into that, we want to thank our sponsor, J Radio. J Radio is an online music platform that has all different kinds of genres, from country to indie to hard rock to metal to acoustic to Brian's favorite hip-hop, jradio.com. You can find them on the App Store and Google Play Music or iTunes, and uh, you can also find them at jradio.com, a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, all right? Hey, we love you. We're excited about this episode. Let's get it started. Let's go. I've got the Lord, I've got the Lord, I've got the Lord in my heart, 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 in my
Sports in three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. High back. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. I'm your host, your only host for this episode, Brian Edwards. It's my joy tonight to interview the person who has influenced my life more than anyone else in my life. As a matter of fact, I can truthfully say, if it weren't for the person I'm interviewing on this episode, I wouldn't even be here. Uh, Thankfully, I'm going to have the opportunity tonight to talk to my dad. I couldn't begin to share how blessed I am to be his son and how thankful and grateful I am that he's my dad. I wouldn't change that for anything in the world. Not only is he my dad, but he's my best friend. Uh, He's my mentor. He's my Bible encyclopedia. I can call him up at any time. And in my eyes, I believe he has the whole Bible memorized. But uh, I, I grew up under his ministry And it wasn't as a result of his pulpit ministry that I encountered the insanity. But my dad was an evangelist. He preached about 50 weeks a year in a lot of states. And it was the meetings that we were in where I encountered the insanity of fundamentalism. Uh, My dad has always preached God's word. That's why he was invited to those meetings. God has given him a gift to take the deep things of Scripture and make them understandable. Um, I so respect you not only as a dad, but as a preacher, and it's my honor to get to uh, to interview you. I, this is this is unusual, a son interviewing his dad. It's an honor. It's good to be here tonight, Brian, and uh, I thank the Lord for you and the way you've influenced my life. God has really used you in my own life, and I'm honored to be here. Well, anytime my dad talks about the way I've influenced his life and his respect or appreciation for me. I always tell everyone that's proof that love covers a multitude of sins. (laughs) Well, I think the best place to get started is literally from the beginning. Um, You know, because of the way you preach and, you know, because of all that you know about the scripture and, and all of that, I think a lot of people would assume that you grew up in a great Christian home, that you you know, you had a dad and a mom who faithfully took you to church and who taught you God's word. And, and I think a lot of people would just assume that you were you were brought up in a Christian family, in a great church, but it was actually the opposite. And so why don't you just start at the beginning and share pre-conversion in your life, how God brought you to salvation, and and just share some of some of that part of your story. Okay, Brian, I'll be glad to. Um, I wasn't brought up in church. I had a good mom and a good dad. My dad was not saved. My mom was not saved. She had come from a primitive Baptist background. But um, we didn't go to church. We never got up on Sunday morning and, and went to church. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, in my early teens, I started playing in a rock band, and we used to play in a lot of nightclubs. I wasn't even old enough to be there, but I was there playing, 
and um, it, it led to a lot of uh, bad habits developing in my life. They gave us free drinks and and uh, I wanted to be cool like everyone else and and uh, my life just began a downward spiral. I end up ended up being kicked out of school when I was in the eleventh grade. I was told by my principal. I would never amount to anything, and I couldn't go to school anywhere in our county. Uh, but we had a, a, my grandmother lived right beside of us. We called her Ma, and Ma was a Christian, and Ma used to witness to me. And since she lived next door, I spent a lot of time at Ma's house. And I can remember as a little boy, Ma talking to me about the end of time. She would talk to me about the moon turning to blood and the stars falling and earthquakes. And, and then she would say, in an hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. In an hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Two years after Ma went to heaven, I was lying in my bed one night at the end of an ordinary day. Uh, and out of nowhere that verse of scripture came back to me uh, in an hour that you think not the son of man cometh and it was as though the holy spirit set up his pulpit at the foot of my bed and began to preach to me from that one verse and for the first time in my life i got under conviction deep conviction uh, time went on i tried to quit thinking about it i couldn't stop thinking about it i dreaded seeing nighttime come because every night it was the same sermon over and over and over in an hour that you think not the son of man cometh uh, i started going to church i was dating your mom at the time and that was a good decision it was a great decision later on uh, we got married of course but the, anyway when we were dating uh, Linda told me that if I wanted to date her, I would have to go to church with her. And I didn't want to go to church. I didn't like going to church. It wasn't my crowd. They didn't sing my kind of music. But I did want to date your mom. So I went to church. And they were having revival at Little Mountain Baptist Church. And this was after we were even married. And um, I went to, on Monday night to the revival, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Every night, God dealt with me. And every night, I wanted to be saved every night. Um, but I would I would ask myself the question, you know, what are my friends going to think? Or uh, what will I have to give up? Or thoughts like, I, I can't live it. I, I can't live a Christian life. But it was on Thursday night. I went to the service again, and that night, I don't remember what the preacher preached on. I don't remember what the choir sung. The whole time I sat there, I kept thinking to myself, I'm lost. I'm lost. And the preacher preached, and at the end of the message, he gave an invitation. And my heart uh, started beating. I thought it was going to beat out of my chest. And once again, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and deal with me. And I put up the same arguments, but what are my friends going to think? Or what will I have to give up? Or what if I can't live it? Uh, but then the evangelist said, there's somebody here tonight that needs to be saved. And we're going to sing one more verse just for you. And when he said that, an urgency came over me. And I knew then it was now 
or never. And so finally, I said, I don't care what my friends will say. I don't know if I can live it or not. I don't care what I've got to give up. I can't stand these sleepless nights any longer. And I took that first step and uh, I found myself at the altar. And a, a dear man in the church met me with an open Bible and he showed me from God's word how to be saved. I could not have quoted John three sixteen that night if my life had depended on it. The only verse that I could quote was, In an hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. But he showed me from God's word how I could be saved and know it. And that night, God gloriously saved me. I, I haven't been perfect. That was a November night in 1967. But since then, I've been different. And by the way, I did go back to school. I did get my diploma even after we were married and went on to Bible college. And um, all I can say is God's been good. So after you became a Christian, um, you started then talking to your family about their need for Jesus. At that point in time, no one in your family, none of them were saved. None no. of them. Isn't that right? That's true. So so not, not parents, not, not your brother, not your sisters. And so can you just share how immediately as a new Christian, you had a heart to share the gospel with your family and maybe let everyone know that that wasn't difficult or how difficult that was because that wasn't easy. No, it wasn't. You know, a lot of people who are listening, they, they likely don't have Christian family. And sometimes, you know, our families are the most difficult ones to share the gospel with. So why don't you just let everyone know that part of the story as well? Okay. Well, after, after I became a Christian, uh, I wanted to see my family saved more than anything. The the thoughts of my family going to hell was just more than, than I could handle. And so I began to witness to my parents. Uh, every time I would go to see them, I, I witnessed to them. I began to witness to uh, my brother, my sisters. Uh, I went to Tennessee Temple uh, for uh, my training, and my brother went with me out there, Ricky, he's the only brother I have. And uh, he went to the campus to get a drink out of the drink machine. And there was a student there that uh, asked Rick if he was a Christian, and Rick said no. And uh, he said, I'd like to pray for you. Rick said, okay. And so the guy just knelt down on the sidewalk right there and started praying for Ricky. And Ricky came back talking about it. He said, I couldn't get over it. He said he just knelt right on the sidewalk and was praying out loud and asking God to save me. And so later that uh, evening, I, I told Rick, it's because uh, he loves you. He wants to see you saved and Jesus loves you. And so that evening, uh, my brother and I knelt down in that upstairs apartment in Chattanooga, Tennessee on Chamberlain Avenue. And uh, my brother was saved. Uh, every time I would come home from school, I would witness to my family. Uh, my sister Joyce, uh, she got saved. She went to church with me one Sunday night, was saved. My older sister Brenda was saved. Uh, 
my baby sister, Janice, uh, was in the car with my wife and myself. We were going down 52, and uh, we were witnessing to Janice, and finally she told us to stop to pull over we pulled over to the side of the road and janice was in tears and janice uh, trusted jesus uh, by the side of the highway and then uh, i witnessed to mom and dad one sunday afternoon i was over there trying to get my dad to go to church with me and uh, you know how papa joe was he was a great man so easy going laid back the most contented man i've ever met But that Sunday afternoon, he really got upset with me. And he said, he said, just shut up and leave me alone. He said, if you don't shut up, I'll never go to church with you. And my mom came into the room and saw my dad, you know, was upset. She had heard what he said. And my mom said, "Um, Craig, we love to see you come. But if that's all you've got to talk about... She said, uh, I wish you would leave right now and never come back. And so I just got up and walked out of the house, got in my car and drove away. Went to church on Sunday night and I told my pastor, Brother Rayton Puckett, what my parents had said. And I was so discouraged. He said, it sounds like you're getting to them. He said, just keep it up, keep it up. And so uh, I went to bed that night and, and I could visualize my dad and mom standing before God. And it wasn't long before I was weeping and uh, I went back to see them the next day. And I told them, I said, um, you can get upset with me. You can get mad. You can run me off, but I'm not giving up until I see both of you saved. And I just kept right on. Well, I went back to school, uh, had to go back to school. And so uh, when I was at school, I got a phone call from my sister and we talked and she said, uh, Craig, guess what happened Sunday? I said, what? She said, daddy went to church and I couldn't believe it because my dad never, never went to church. And she said, uh, guess what else happened? I said, what? She said, when the invitation was given, she said, daddy got saved. As a matter of fact, my sister and my dad was baptized the same day. So I drove home to see them baptized. And before I went back to school, I saw my mama walk the aisle and uh, she trusted Jesus. And so my whole family uh, was uh, were Christians. We we had a Christian home, a Christian family. You know, it's amazing that God used you to lead every single one of them uh, to Christ. I mean, that's just amazing. So. You know, what's really interesting to me is, you know, I grew up as a teenager and I knew you as an evangelist. And yet from the very beginning of of your conversion, you were evangel you were an evangelist, you know, re- leading your family uh to Christ. I mean, that's that's powerful. And by the way, I hope every single person who's listening to this episode, your family, they aren't Christians and maybe they've turned their backs on you and and they've gotten you know, angry with you and told you to stop talking to them about, you know, their salvation. I hope that inspires you to be bold and to keep sharing the gospel. I I hope you're inspired by that. You know, your family can be difficult because uh, they don't pull no punches. They just tell you what they think, how they feel. And if they want you to shut up, they just tell you, shut up. But uh, uh, the 
biggest thing I would encourage everyone to do is just don't give up. If you don't pray for them, chances are nobody will. If you don't weep over them, chances are nobody will. And if you don't win them to Christ, chances are nobody will. And nobody's going to love your family like you do. Just don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Just keep on keeping on. I, I wasn't I wasn't saved until two years after Ma went to heaven. And so uh, she just quoted that verse of scripture to me. And two years after she went to heaven, God used that same verse to bring me under conviction. So don't get discouraged and don't give up. Yeah, I love that. So while you're in school, uh, because I don't know if you know this or not, but J.C., uh, one of the other hosts, and Nathan both mm-hmm. went to Tennessee Temple. Oh, yeah. So all of you have that in common. Can you share the funny story about what the, uh, was it the hermeneutics or the homiletics um, professor told you when yeah. it was your turn to preach? Oh, yeah, yeah. We had to preach in class, um, in our hermeneutics class, and each one of the uh, students had a score sheet and we preached in class and the other students, you know, they, they scored our preaching and, and, and just shared their thoughts, whether it was good or bad. And they were brutally, I mean, brutally honest. And so it was my, my time to preach. And, uh, the teacher had taught us, you know, that we were supposed to stand behind the podium, never unbutton your coat. And um, he taught us, you know, how we were supposed to talk and mannerisms that were acceptable and those that were not acceptable. And so I had been brought up in the church, unless you were spitting on the first three rows, you weren't preaching. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I called my pastor and I, I told him, I said, I've got to preach in class tomorrow. And, and uh, he said, you just just be yourself. Just preach it the way God gives it to you. And so I stood up and I preached. I preached from Galatians chapter one. Never will forget it. And uh, I think I preached everything I knew and some things I wasn't sure about. But anyway, <laughs> when the... Uh, when the score uh, sheets came in and the uh, teacher looked at all of them and he graded us, he told me that he was really concerned about me. Uh, He said I was too much like a holy roller. And so uh, (laughs) I told him, I said, well, at least I'm rolling. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, uh, I went ahead and, and, and preached and, uh, some enjoyed it and some thought I was too loud, too emotional, so forth. But, uh, I've been... well, that really didn't, that really didn't matter that much. <laughs> no. uh, I think, I think, you know, 50 years later of being in ministry, um, uh, I think you're fine. <laughs> um, you know, so when ministry first started for you, mm-hmm. you know, I've always loved to hear you tell the story about, you know, getting that old tent. And, you know, one of the things I've always loved about you is you've always been a dreamer. Like, you're always dreaming. Even now, um, you know, now that you're you're 39 years old. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, now that you're almost 70, you'll be 70 in June. Yep. Um, you know, you're still dreaming. And when you and I talk, 
you know, you're always talking about what you hope God does and the opportunities God gives you and and your prayers that he births vision in your heart. You know, you you still dream, but you bought this old tent. And uh, I've always loved to hear you tell that story. As a matter of fact, a little while back, we found a copy of that revival poster. And and you looked like a kid. I was a kid. And so what did that look like? Well, when I was at Tennessee Temple, uh, a man befriended me there. I'd met him in our church back home. His name was Frank Rosser. And he worked with BIMI at the time, Baptist International Missions. And uh, I told him that I would love to have a tent and do tent ministry. And he told me, he said, well, I've, I've got an old tent that I'll give to you. It had been used in several different mission fields. He said, you can just have it if you want it. So uh, it was in bags. And so I loaded it up, put it in a U-Haul trailer and carried it home. And we got out the tent and uh, it, it could have been nicknamed Patches. It had holes and patches all <laughs> over it. We went down to the local shoe store and bought buckets of glue, you know, like they used to glue the soles on the shoes with. And uh, we took the bags that it was, that the tent was in and made patches out of it. And uh, we worked, we worked for several weeks, me, my dad, and another friend from our church. Uh, we worked patching that old tent, putting the shoe glue on it. And uh, we set it up uh, all around the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, that tent was scriptural. It was a biblical tent in that it was holy. Um, when it rained, we could have had a baptism right behind the platform. I mean, it didn't matter. Uh, you you may come to the tent being a Baptist or whatever, but you were going to leave sprinkled if it rained, I promise. And uh, we had great crowds and saw a lot of people saved under that old tent. We filled it up night after night after night. And uh, I did the preaching and the uh, uh, a dear brother by the name of Lynn Inman, he led the singing, and um, uh, we had some times under that old tent. And then uh, you were called to pastor your first church. Yep, yep. And that wasn't such an easy experience. No, it wasn't. Uh, I went, I went there, and I was so excited about it, and I, I. I just had such a great vision and I said, God's going to fill this place up and, you know, we're going to grow and see people saved. And I was really excited about it, but, um, it, it didn't take long until, you know, we had some, some clashes with the leadership in the church. And I eventually had to leave, uh, because of health reasons. Um, uh, all of the deacons got sick of me. <laughs> Yeah, so so they actually carried you physically out of a service. I had two deacons. To, one of them grabbed me by one arm. The other one grabbed me by the other arm. And they picked me up and carried me out. And so then you planted a church. And although it was in a small community, there was unbelievable growth. I, I mean, if you t if you ran the percentages, 
people who live there and people who are attending that church, you, you had better percentages than Joel Osteen. <laughs> I don't know about that. It was a little community, Claudeville, Virginia, and there were 300 residents, a little over 300 residents in Claudeville at the time. And uh, when I left, the church was running uh, over 100 people. And it's that's been, I guess, about 40 years ago or longer, and, and they're still going strong. But then you went to a, a, a church in Rural Hall, North Carolina, I Freedom did. Baptist. Freedom Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And if I'm if I'm confused about this, by all means, set the record straight. But it was while you were at Freedom, you had a great radio program. Um, it was on a station called WWMO. Yep. And it was, I think, the number one preaching program on their station. But it was during that time that you started preaching a lot of revival meetings. I, I really don't know how it happened. I never pushed or promoted myself, but... Uh, you know, doors just started opening. And then when I went on WWMO, it was a, a 50,000 watt, or it went, and it went up to maybe a 100,000 watt FM station. It did. And uh, yeah, the calls started coming um, and I got really busy. And it was from Freedom that you went into full-time evangelism. It was. Um, they had started a building at Freedom and uh, they'd had some problems in the church. The church had split, as a matter of fact. And um, they had put up just the whole of uh, the building. They had run out of money. And um, that's when uh, I became the pastor. But God helped us to finish the building. It was uh, a 1,200-seat sanctuary. And uh, and the church grew while I was there in about the time it it was really doing good, uh, I left. <laughs> yeah, God called you into full time evangelism, and I know He did. I know that was a big step because you had Mom and me and Melinda. Yep. And and that was you know that was a a big deal. It was uh, you know taking that that huge step of faith. But 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 just to give some context for the next part of this conversation, Uh which is where we will start to dive in more to your encounter with fundamentalism, your um, advancement of fundamentalism. At at that time, I mean, you went to pastor school um, in Hammond, Indiana. I did. I I know some of the Hiles came to preach at at the church you pastored. Um, If I'm not mistaken, Curtis Hudson preached um, at the church you pastored. Jack Hudson. Jack Hudson. Okay. And then you started holding revival meetings uh, for a lot of different people. I mean, you were, you, you were around men like Lee Robertson and others. And, and, and I know you were holding a lot of revival meetings and preaching at a lot of camp meetings and jubilees and Bible conferences, but you were a fundamentalist. I, I was a fundamentalist, uh, Brian. That's that's all I knew. But even then, even though I was in that circle and, and traveling in that circle, I was never really of that circle. I tried to be. Um, that's one of the biggest regrets that I have is that, um, you know, I tried raising you and Melinda and, 
and Hannah by other men's convictions and I was so worried about being accepted and and worried about what people would think about my ministry uh and uh, I I tried to be like them but but really I was I was never never really one of them so can you just talk a little bit about what you just said the pressure or the need to be accepted oh yeah well back then you know if you were not correct on your political talking points uh um, you were ostracized and and there was no place really to go you lived your life according to uh other people's convictions you know i i wanted i wanted my mentors to be proud of me i hate to admit it but a lot of what i did was to to please them really um even though i may not have the same conviction in my own heart i wanted them to be proud of me and that that was a big deal and you were saved into the independent baptist church I was. because you didn't because you didn't have a church background or a church affiliation i didn't know anything about anything else right that was all you knew and it just so happened you were saved into a circle where there are a lot of guys who preached really mean. Yeah. yeah I mean, they... they were really rough. One of my favorite stories, and, and I hope everybody enjoys this story as much as I do, but one of the guys in our community, I won't call him by name, he's he since passed away, and uh, I wouldn't want to disrespect his family, but he was notorious for being just the meanest preacher you can imagine. And one Sunday mm-hmm. in a service, he preached this really, really, really mean sermon, and it lasted, I mean, well over an hour, and no one was saying a word except this one man who the whole service long was saying, amen, preach it, preacher, let them have it, preacher. <laughs> and so at the end of this really mean message, this pastor said, you know, the rest of you have been in this service, you've been sitting like a bunch of not on logs, and and he said, you know, I'm glad there's one man here today that appreciates good preaching, and he said, brother, my spirit really identifies with your spirit. Why don't you stand and close in prayer? Mm-hmm. And the man actually spoke out loud and said something like, I can't pray. I'm drunk as I can be. <laughs> actually, actually, he, he, he started in his prayer. He said, uh, he said, Lord, uh, he said, I really don't know how to pray. He said, I just got saved myself a while ago. And uh, he said, uh, Lord, you know I've been drinking. <laughs> All that was in his prayer. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to have seen the look on that pastor's face. But so you were brought up around some some pretty rough preachers. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, be really honest, as transparent as you can be. I will. How much did that affect how you preached for a while? It affected um, how I preached, Brian. Um, Back in those days, and even now, most of the fundamentals preachers, you would hear them preach salvation by grace. Uh, in their message, they would say things like, uh, uh, we're saved uh, by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. But then in the same message, they would pick out certain laws, and they preached uh, separation, sanctification by keeping the law. 
And so it was a mixture of law and grace, which which doesn't work. But yeah, that influenced me a big time because that's the way I I was discipled. My my pastor originally, the man that I was saved under, Rayton Puckett, he was not like that. He was he was never mean. Uh, he he preached the Bible. He did have convictions, but he was sweet spirited. But uh, you know, as I, I began to, to grow older and, and and became a pastor myself, you meet other preachers and, and going in different meetings, you meet a lot of different guys. And uh, um, that's that's where uh, I heard it and was introduced to the other side of fundamentalism. Yeah, I know. I remember uh, one meeting in Georgia where so much of what we heard was just so much nonsense and you know legalism was rampant oh yeah and i remember having to sit through those services and just thinking how badly i hated it um i mean i just hated being there and then you know there's the confusion of you know what do i believe and and you know it was even during that season that i think that shaped a lot of why I rebelled as an older teenager, you know, because you mm-hmm. don't, you don't know how to feel, you, you know, you're, you're hearing this, you're, you're brought into those services. So what you're hearing must be true because, well, you wouldn't expose me to, to lies. And, and so what was I supposed to believe? What was I supposed to think? And then, you know, you go to the youth camps and, and basically, you know, the whole objective of the youth camp is to to tell you how horrible you are and and to do everything within their power to scare you into yet another conversion. Mm-hmm. And and so there was a lot of confusion in our lives at that time. And like even now, hearing you share that you struggled even then with, you know, where you were and what you were believing and what you were preaching, it makes me feel better to hear you say that. And I think there's other people who will identify with that because you know, they might not want to admit it, but a lot of current fundamentalists listen to this podcast. And I think there are a lot of them that they aren't who they are around, but out of fear of rejection and separation, they continue to be a part of what they really don't believe in. So what do you regret most about about your time as a fundamentalist? Maybe some things you preached or some moments, for example, one of the moments I regret most was when I arrogantly fussed at, at Papa and Grandma because, you know, they were unable physically to go to church and they were listening to Charles Stanley. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I really just called them out on, you know, how could you be listening to him? Because I thought, you know, he was the worst. Right, right. I'd heard that. And, and you know, I look back now and I didn't love anybody more than I loved them. And and it's hard for me to talk about it right now without just breaking down and crying. No one was sweeter than they were. And yet I was, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I was an arrogant idiot in that moment. I deeply regret that. Well, the biggest regret that I have is the influence that it had on you and Melinda and even Hannah. Um, You know, there are some mean, vicious people in church and you wouldn't expect to find mean, vengeful people people in church, especially preachers, but uh, there are. 
And uh, the biggest regret that I have, and the thing that breaks my heart to this very moment, is uh, the scars that remain on my kids from being brought up in that. That's the biggest regret that I have. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people will will resonate with that. We went to one one meeting and I, I had just bought a new van. Uh, you remember that gray van we bought and I bought it. Oh, but that was big time. A conversion. Oh van. yeah, man. The seats, it was, it the was, seats even laid back. That's right. The first meeting I took it to was a meeting in, in Georgia. And, uh, uh, I was criticized so much that week by the other preachers because the, the van had an antenna on it, a TV antenna. But if you remember when we got it, when we first got it, we didn't have the TV, had the antenna. <laughs> but man, those guys, uh, they they laid into me because of that TV antenna. And I didn't, I didn't tell not one of them that I, did, I didn't have a TV in it. I didn't tell any of them. I just let them go ahead and, and say what they wanted to say. But I, I was criticized because I let you at that time, because you listened to Southern Gospel music and and pastors rebuked me for that and i think that's that's uh my salvation in in raising all of my kids was um i think that all of you knew that no matter what that i loved you unconditionally and uh, i don't think there was ever a time when when any of you ever doubted that i loved you um and that's no we never had to doubt that that was that's that was, I think, the biggest factor in raising you and the way that all of you have turned out now. It's um, considering what you were exposed to that that breaks my heart. Well, you know, one of the things I've always loved to hear you say is, "I love you more than the air I breathe." Oh yeah, and, and that's true. And you've, well, I believe it, and you've always told us that over and over again. You know, when we drove that van to that meeting, <laughs> I'll never forget Sammy Allen said one of the craziest things I've ever heard anyone say. Now think about it. I was probably what, 13 then? About the rattlesnake. Yeah, I, I was about 13 and my memory's mm. terrible. And Sammy Allen stood in front of that crowd of people and this is what he said. He said, I'd rather put a live rattlesnake in the cradle with my infant child than to put an unplugged television in the house. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was 13 years old, 14 years old. And I remember hearing that thinking, how in the world can anyone say something like that? So, so let's fast forward. Okay. Um, God, you know, brought me out of fundamentalism. He did. That happened as a result of his word. Um, you know, I was pastoring and, and God convicted me about what I was seeing in the scripture and I knew that what I was seeing differed from who I was and what I was preaching. And so God changed my heart and my life. And and then you and I started having conversations. And things things were tense for a while. Uh, what was your perspective on that? Well, when, when you started making changes, you know, I, I put up the same arguments that everybody does. But there's one thing about it. We were really never separated from each other. By that, I mean we never stopped loving one another. And uh, uh, we were never really disconnected. But I just, um, 
I was concerned about it. Uh, you know, things that um, that you were seeing that I didn't see, and and I would question you about it. But but I always loved you, and I always respected you, and 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 I was still thankful, you know, that you were in the ministry and winning souls. But it, I, I it was just something different than than I'd ever known or even ever heard. Uh, you know, I was brought up and disciplined and discipled to. To believe, you know, that if you weren't independent, fundamental Baptist, that you were wrong and probably not even saved. And uh, if you didn't carry the 1611 King James, and of course, I didn't find out till later that really nobody carries the 1611. They carry <laughs> the uh, 1769 revision of the 1611, but uh, I didn't know any different. And, and you know, if you weren't in that circle, in that camp, then you weren't right with God and, and good possibility you weren't even saved. And so I didn't understand the direction you were moving in, but I had confidence in you, even though I didn't understand the movement. Um, I did, right. I did trust you. Well, I remember you and I would have conversations oh, yeah. and sometimes it got pretty tense, but the thing that never changed is we were best friends. We were and, uh, through it all. Absolutely. And I just remember you know, always, always giving a verse mm -hmm. and you and I would talk through scripture. And, you know, I remember asking you why certain things weren't in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, this has been preached. Why is it not in the Bible? And you and I had, had some real, real uh, intense conversations. Yeah, we did. Uh, during that time, I remember you, you kept telling me, just don't be so extreme. You know, if you come back in this direction, just, just a, a little, little. bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, your friends will still be your friends. And, and I remember telling you, dad, these two worlds don't walk together. Yeah. They, they collide. And I remember telling you, I can't come back. It's a matter of conviction. What God has shown me, he's shown me clearly. And then you were in a meeting in Florida. And one night my phone rang. It was about eight o'clock, eight 30. And I knew you were supposed to be in a church service. And so I answered the mm -hmm. phone. And I'll just, ne I'll never forget you whispering and, and, and you were saying, I see it. I see it. And I said, daddy, where are you? Why are you whispering? You said, I'm on the back row of the church building. And, uh, so I realized you were calling me from inside the, the auditorium mm -hmm. and you were saying, I see it. And, and God had, had opened your eyes to see the truth. And, and that led you to where you are now. So what I want you to do as clearly as you can, if you need to talk out Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, um, whatever you need to talk out to help people understand clearly. Because, you know, you're one of the most well-known preachers I know of who has exited fundamentalism. You've taken more abuse and more public abuse than anyone else I personally know of. You've had your meetings boycotted. You've had statewide camp meetings canceled on you because pastors boycotting. You've had tons of lies. My favorite is that you've turned against the King James. And if anyone listens, you still preach from the King James because that's where all your memorization is and oh, all yeah. of these years of study and investment. But people say you've turned against it. And yet, if they would listen to one sermon, you still use it. But sure, you know, there's been so many lies told. So why don't you just talk about your journey out of fundamentalism? Well, it, it all started, believe it or not, you know, we would have discussions about uh, dressing, 
going to church, you know, not wearing a, a tie and suit and all this. And, and I use the same arguments that everybody used, but, you know, you ought to give God your best. And I would tell you, you know, you wouldn't look that way. You wouldn't dress that way if you were going to see the president. That's the one everybody uses. And, and, uh, you told me, you said, you said, dad said, just show me in the Bible where I'm supposed to wear a tie. And of course I couldn't. And, uh, you said, show me in the Bible where I'm supposed to wear a suit. And I couldn't, I was, I was, uh, I was speechless. I, there was nothing I could say or come back with because it wasn't there. Well, that's, that's what I was beginning to see. And one Sunday, um, after church, I, I wore my suit and white shirt and all that. I came home and some of us in the church were going to ride a motorcycles that afternoon and so um uh after i'd grabbed a bite to eat i took off my suit my tie and my white shirt and i put my harley shirt on my harley jeans and my harley boots and got a harley cap hey can and, i get can i make a guess real quick yeah you must have been riding a harley i was riding a harley that's a good i'm guess. really insightful like that oh you're good you're good but um I was standing there looking at myself in the mirror and for the first time, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. It occurred to me that I was still in God's house, that the building was not God's house. My body was the house of God. And I was standing there in my Harley shirt and so forth. And I asked myself the question, does this mean that I love God less because wow. I'm wearing a pair of jeans? Uh, I'm still in God's house. Does this mean I, I, I'm not giving God my best? Is giving God my best, picking up a white shirt and putting on a tie? I wish it was that simple. But for the first time, I saw it. It's just, it was tradition. It's not, it's not truth. And uh, so I went to that meeting in Florida. It was about that time that I went to that meeting. And, and, and so much of what the preacher preached about, and that was one thing about going to camp meetings and, and jubilees. Not only did you preach, but you had to listen to everybody else that preached. And he was preaching, and, and I, I could see it, things that were not scriptural. As a matter of fact, not only was the content of his message void of scripture, but a lot of what he was saying was contrary to scripture. And uh, I, I saw it. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. And um, once the ice cracked for me, uh, one step led to another step. You know, why do we do this or why do we preach that and um, and and the ice began to to crumble uh, I was in a meeting in Louisiana and I got up and preached first and the evangelist wanted it that way he wanted me to preach first that was preaching that night as well so I preached first and then he got up and he he started in you know the same old stuff just over and over and over and then he called out a pastor's name, and there was a room full of preachers there that night. I mean, the church was packed out, people sitting in the vestibule. And he said, I know you 
you preach uh, against uh, wire-rim glasses. And he said, and this is the way he worded it. He said, you ain't got nary bit of scripture for it. He said, but just keep on preaching it. Keep on preaching it. And he, he, he named out a few of the pastors that was there and things that they preached against and hobby horses that they rode. And he said, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible, but just keep on preaching it. Keep on preaching. And while he was saying those things, the crowd was going wild. I mean, they were up on their feet and raising their hands and people that should have known better were up on their feet. And I sat there and I was so grieved in my spirit Mm. because the Bible says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Even in reproving and rebuking, it's to be done with long suffering and doctrine. And so sitting on that pew in Louisiana that night, I determined in my heart that if the Bible doesn't say it, I'm not going to say it. And if God doesn't condemn it, I'm not going to condemn it. And whatever he exalts, I'll exalt. And when you put that in shoe leather and live it out, it's a game changer. Amen to that. That's really good. I think a lot of people need to hear that because you get trapped in a tradition and your tradition makes God's word of no effect. Um, right. I know I know when I hear a lot of the clips now um, on Twitter of different independent fundamental Baptist preachers, I think fundamentalism has idols and functional saviors. I think the old time way is an idol. Um, I heard a man, I won't call him by name, uh, you know him, I know him, uh, he's from Burlington. He was preaching uh, just a bunch of old talking points. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all it was, just the same old tired stuff that I've heard now for you know years and years and years and years. And everything he was saying was about the old-time way. And for example, the expression, what is old-time salvation? What is that? Yep. There's only there's only a grace-based salvation through and by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as old-time salvation. What, what is old-time conviction? No, there's Holy Spirit-initiated conviction. Yep. And, and I think the old-time way is an idol, I, I, and I really i am not even sure when the old-time way was. I became so old-time or so old-fashioned, I went beyond the 60s, beyond the 50s, beyond the early 1900s, beyond the the 18, 1600s, all the way back to the Bible. And and that's that's where I had my problems. I, I uh, had preached a, a camp meeting up in West Virginia for several years, and um, I loved the people. They loved me. Uh, but I was called in uh, by the moderator and the pastor of the church, and, and uh, he told me that they weren't going to have me back anymore because he didn't like the direction. They didn't like the direction that I was going. And uh, I can remember he had a Bible on his desk. I picked up the Bible and handed it to him. And I said, if you can take the Bible and show me where I'm wrong. Just show me where I'm wrong. 
I said, I'll get down in in the floor right now. I'll ask God to forgive me. I'll ask you to forgive me. I'll stand up publicly and ask everyone to forgive me. I'll go back to our own church and I'll ask them to forgive me. Just show me in the Bible. Show me from God's word where I'm wrong. And he looked at me. He bowed his head. He looked back up again. And he said, Brother Craig, you know I can't do that. And I realized at that point in time, you know, there, there's no more conversation to be had. I had another brother to tell me. Uh, he, he, We were talking and I kept giving him scripture, you know, just bringing, just giving him scripture. And so finally he got so frustrated. He said, I can't help what the Bible says. He said, I just know what I like. Mm. And um, at least he told the truth. Yeah, he did tell the truth. But you know, so much of that movement, Brian, it's the, all the preaching, a lot of the preaching is about getting that immediate response and, and getting a decision, getting results, whether God is in it or not. Why do you think it is that people are led back into legalism or they stay trapped in legalism? Uh, you know, for example, that's what was happening in, in, in the church in, in Galatia, and Paul mm-hmm. dealt with that. Why do you think people stay trapped in legalism? Well, in the book of Galatians in chapter 4, Paul said uh, he, he referred twice to those who desired to be under the law. And then he said, don't you hear what the law saith? And he brought up Abraham and Sarah and and uh, uh, Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. And he said all of those things were written as an allegory. An allegory is, is a story that uses characters which reveal truth. And, of course, they can be real-life characters or fictitious characters, but the characters convey real truth. Well, uh, Paul said that's, that's what Abraham was, and he went on to explain uh, the allegory. Uh, he, he said that Sarah was the free woman. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was the result of the promise of God. He said Hagar represented the law and Ishmael represented the flesh. So Ishmael was the result of the flesh. But the reason Sarah brought Hagar to Abraham to begin with is because they thought God needed some help, that God Mm. wasn't big enough to do what he said he would do. And they thought God needed some help. And, uh, that's what Paul said to the church of Galatia. Uh, the reason they went back to the law is because they think God needs some help. You know, the cross is not enough. The blood's not enough. Grace is not enough. Uh, you know, God needs some help. And that's why people um, in the fundamental circle, uh, especially, they preach try to preach salvation by grace, but then turn around and preach separation and sanctification by keeping the law. And you can't, you can't mix law with grace. They, they both disintegrate according to the book of Romans. Yeah, that man, that's really good. So, so now that you've come out of fundamentalism, you know, the Bible says a friend loves at all times. Mm -hmm. So a friend loves you when you're right. A friend loves you when you're wrong. 
What have you experienced now that you've come out of fundamentalism? I mean, you're still preaching the scripture. Sure. Uh, you're still faithful to mom. You're, you're still a great dad. Um, you're, you're a great example. You're a friend to so many people. I know you're getting ready to turn 70 in June, but in my opinion, you know, man, your preaching is, is as solid or more solid than it's ever been. And, you know, you just preach the scripture, but in spite of that, how, how has the reaction been to you simply because you walked away from fundamentalism? Well, uh, been a lot of false things said about me, a lot of lies and, and uh, I've been cut off uh, by a lot of people. I don't preach in the meetings I used to preach in and the big, big churches that I used to go to. And that's fine. When I, when God began to, to deal with my heart about all of this and uh, uh, Linda told me, she said, you know, when people find out about this, they're, they're not going to have you. And uh, I, I told her, I, I know that I said, but, if I perish, I perish. That was my attitude. If if I perish, I perish. And I died to all of that. I died to to going to the camp meetings, going back to the same churches that I went to before. But it's been a blessing because God has brought new people into my life and God has resurrected everything I died to. And that's really good when you see the Lord do that. Yes. And you know you didn't have anything to do with it. It was all God. And I'm still staying busy, still still traveling, loving, preaching more than I've ever loved it. And the Lord just resurrected everything I died to. I've never been a big country music fan me and Nathan and JC, we all disagree on that. <laughs> but but we have in Martinsville, Virginia, at the raceway, they do this huge fireworks display. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's massive. And they pay for it. It's free. You get to take your family. And they'll usually have some famous singer. And uh, because it's, you know, Martinsville, Virginia, they usually choose a country music singer. And I don't even know this guy's name. But apparently this was his big song. Because when he sang this, the crowd went wild the moment, you know, the music started playing. <laughs> and I don't even know the song, but I'll just, I'll never forget. Nathan, JC, I'm going to do my best impersonation. So here it goes. I'll never forget in the chorus, he, he sang th- these words. He sang, you find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he sang this line, you find out who your friends are. That's right. My real friends never left me. They never left me. Yeah. And, and God's brought you some new friends. And there's Absolutely. a lot of guys who, who look up to you. And I'm thankful for all of the ways God's using you. And, and by the way, I would say this, you know, in, on this episode, we've only scratched the surface. Uh, there's so much more to this story. Uh, if you're a pastor and you're listening, and you're struggling with walking away from fundamentalism and fear is keeping you bound. Uh, my dad initially lost lots and lots of church members. He lost lots and lots of revivals. He had men stand up and call his name in camp meetings and revivals. He was publicly called a compromiser. Uh, you know, Tony Hudson falsely said he fed him for 10 years and <laughs> and called his name as a compromiser. And 
he endured all of that. And it was difficult. And there were a lot of times when we would talk through it. And and there's been some late night conversations. And and there were times when it was really difficult because, you know, it hurts. We're human. It hurts. But stop and think about this. He's still here. He's still preaching. God's brought new community into his, into his life. God's using him in a whole new way. And so I want you to, to take two things from that. First of all, let that be an inspiration to you that there is survival on the other side. And then also, if you need someone to talk to or if you need to bring someone in to challenge your leaders or your, your, your deacons and some, someone to walk you through the journey, I don't know of anyone better uh, than Craig Edwards. Daddy, I love you. I I'm love glad we got, got the chance to talk. Thank you for sharing your story. I know there's a lot more to it. I feel like, you know, we need about a five-hour <laughs> episode of The Recovering Fundamentalist. What, what's one thing you could leave everyone with about the recovering part? You know, if there's a scripture that you can, you can deposit, mm. if there's something you can say about this part of being a recovering fundamentalist. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our, of, the finisher of our faith is one. And a verse that has really been big in my heart is uh, denying ourselves taking up our cross and following him. And that's, that's success as far as a believer is concerned. You, you can't get more successful than denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. That's what it's all about. Well, I think that's a good place to finish. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Recovering Fundamentalist. It's been my joy to have spent the last hour talking to the man that I call Hero and uh, I'm glad that God has given me this opportunity. This podcast to you is just going to be a podcast to me. It's going to be a treasure. Uh, JC, Nathan, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I know this story has been a blessing to you. Um, you can email, as always. We'll, we'll follow up if there's more conversations to be had with my dad. If there are those of you who would like to have his email address so you can continue the conversation with him, I'm sure he wouldn't mind us sharing that with you. We're glad that God's given us this vehicle. Uh, we're all recovering from something in some way, and for some of us it's fundamentalism, but we are finding out day by day that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith and that he's going to take care of us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Recovering Fundamentalist. God bless. We will see you next time. Thank you, J Radio. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.